Well, today we're going to have a wonderful special communion service and um, honor the Lord in that. And we'll do that towards the end of service. And, and uh, I don't know about you, but I am so grateful for what the Lord is doing in our lives. Aren't you? And He's uh, doing some amazing, amazing things. And I'm so grateful for that, that we can have a divine partnership to make a true difference in our lives and the lives of others. So let's talk today. We've been in a great series and we're coming towards a close uh, probably next week for the series. And uh, uh, today I want to talk to you about a topic that I believe is crucial because it's crucial in relation to as we are rebuilding our lives, as we are making changes. We've already established that change is hard. Can we all acknowledge that? We've already established that there are some things that we have to unpack. There are some things that we have to uh, abandon. There are some things that we have to get rid of. We uh, recognize and realize not only are there things that we have to get rid of, but there are things that we have to build in. Somebody say, get rid of. Somebody say, build in. So there is a, there's a working together in, in some things in our lives that we have to say, these things i got to resist, these things i got to work out of my life. And there, there, then there are some, some mindsets that we have to build into our lives. And we've been talking about and focusing on that for the last several weeks. Let's look at our key verses again. 2 Corinthians 13.5 says, Look closely at yourselves. Test yourselves to see if you are living in the faith. You know that Jesus Christ is in you unless you fail the test. And then let's go to 1 Peter 4 and listen to verse 1. Therefore, since Christ suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourself. Somebody say, arm myself. Watch this. Also with the same mind. For he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. Now I want you to go in 1 Peter 4 and then just a few pages. Go to 1 Peter 1. And we're going to look at verse 13 and notice what that says. It says, so prepare your minds for action and exercise self-control. Put all your hope in the grace of salvation that will come to you when Jesus Christ is revealed to the world. It is a powerful, powerful verse. Because Peter is telling us not only that we have to arm our minds with the same kind of thinking as Jesus, but also we have to prepare our minds for action. And we've recognized that the battlefield is the mind. And that that fight is a fight that all of us fight every single day. I fight it, you fight it, your neighbor fights it. Look at your neighbor and ask him the question, are you fighting? Then if they look real sad, then you know they're not winning really. But uh, no, I'm just teasing. Look at your other neighbor and say, are you winning the fight? Because this is not just a fight that we fight. It is a fight that we can win. It's a fight that we can overcome. But the problem happens and, and the challenge happens is as we are working towards that place that God has for us, which is what? Becoming like Jesus, we are going to have to face some tests. We're going to have to go through some things. And maybe this week you've gone through some stuff. I've gone through some tests and, and hopefully I passed them. I think I did, but uh, maybe I don't. But uh, I think I did. So i got to prepare my mind. i got to get my mind ready for action. And we said there are three ways that we do it. Today we're going to deal with the third one. The first one is we have to arm our minds with possibility thinking. That means we have to believe that it is possible, that we, we get rid of the cycle of despondency that we are trapped in. And then uh, not only that, uh, we got to paint a, a, a hopeful picture of the future. That this is, it's, not only, it's not only probable that we'll change, it's possible that we change, and we are believing that we are changing. It's possible, and therefore we got to arm our mind with passionate thinking. And last week it was real, uh, kind of real guttural in here because we used very vivid verses about cutting stuff off. How many of you remember that? about plucking stuff out. And Jesus uses a, a very pa- a powerful analogy as a hyperbole. He's exaggerating in order to make a point. He's letting us know he, that there's some stuff in your life that you just have to what? Get mad at. 
that you just, you got to get mad at the hell in your life. Why? Because you got to get the hell out, right? And, and so we talked about that, how to work that. And I didn't cuss, Dave. You think I'm cussing? I didn't cuss. So, uh, but you got to get that stuff, that stuff that's working against you. You got to get it out of your life. Now, today I want you to just simply write in, arm your mind with persevering thinking. So we got to arm our mind with possibility thinking. We got to arm our mind with passionate thinking. And today we got to arm our mind with persevering thinking. Why is this so important? Because it's so important that as we are working through the changes, there's, there's sometimes a tendency and a temptation not to work through the changes, but to go back to what we were, to go back to why? Because it's so easier. It's much easier to fall into a pattern that I'm used to than building a new road. And, and we understand that. And so there are several things. So I'm not talking about in a general sense of, you know, a message about don't quit, don't give up. This is specifically related to rebuilding your life. This is specifically related to work on the dysfunctions in your life. So I'm going to give you three thoughts that I believe will help you to build a persevering mind in your heart and in your mind. How do you do it? Number one, here's the first one. You must understand your value. You must understand your value. Listen to what Psalm 94, 14 says. It says this. The Lord will not reject His people. He will not abandon His what? S- Come on, say it like you mean it. His what? Special possession. Have you recognized that you are somebody special? I mean, sometimes we look at other people and say, Oh, they're special. Oh, they're they wonderful. But do you realize that you are special? You don't. Because you're like, Oh, yeah, I am. I really am special. Can we try that a little bit better? Do you realize you're special? Yes. Turn to the person next to you and say, you are special. Yes. Turn to the other person and say, oh, you are special too. <laughs> now, how many of you know, how many babies are born each day? About 361,481, according to the United States Census Bureau. For uh, This is uh, estimates. There's about 361,481, give or take a few, each day all over the world. This means that for every minute, there are 20, uh, 251 babies born worldwide. While we are sitting here, 251 babies come into this world. And consequently, it's about 15,062 births that occur every hour. Now, let me ask you a question. How many of those babies born on a daily basis are exactly alike? Not a single one of them. Each one is unique, including if they are identical twins. There's no fingerprints the same. Why? Because there will never be another you. There are 7.2 billion people on the planet. 7.2 billion. We, we passed the, the 7 billion mark in 2011. It'll be about 8 to 10 billion in 2050. And yet not one person, even with all the 7.2 billion people that are alive on the planet right now, not one of them is exactly like you. Not one of them has the same exact fingerprint. You are unique. You are an original. You are not a copy. Now, why did God do that? Why did he make us so different? He wants us to learn the principle of scarcity. How many of you understand the principle of scarcity? It it means this, economist tells us that the value of something is determined about how rare it is. Uh, The scarer something is, the scarcer something is, not the scarier, the scarcer something is, the more valuable uh, value is placed on it. That's why we pay so much for diamonds, you know, for oil, for gold, etc. Today when you came to church, you drove over asphalt, am I right? 
Now, I, I, I haven't seen anybody dig up asphalt just to take it home. Are you with me? Why? Because it's just asphalt. But what if we were to pave our parking lot in gold? Yes, let me tell you what will happen. Every single one of you will volunteer for the parking lot ministry. And not only will you volunteer for the parking lot ministry, you'll bring a pick and a shovel every Sunday to church with you. And you'll bring your truck. Are you with me, somebody? Why? Because uh, we ain't going to steal asphalt, but gold, man, there's a temptation there. And, and there's a, here's what you have to understand. This is why it is something sometimes so difficult. Understand this. There is an assault on the image of God on you. Your enemy would like nothing more than you devaluing yourself because when you do, you fail to live up to the potential that God has called you to. The suicide rates, according to the U.S. Centers of Disease Control and Prevention, uh, among those aged 35 to 64, have increased by 28% since 1999. From 13.7 suicides per 100,000 people to 17.6 per 100,000 just a few years ago. More Americans now commit suicide than are killed in car accidents. And the CDC reported 333,687 people died in car crashes, but almost 40,000 people took their own life. People feel hopeless. People feel valueless. I want you to understand this. Jesus did not die to make you valuable. He died to prove how valuable you are to him. And what you have to ask God, ask him to permanently damage your ignorance. You are a good thing. And if nobody ever told you that, your pastor is telling you this morning, you are a good thing. You are a wonderful thing. You are a special thing. You are a precious thing. You are God's special possession. Listen to this verse in Colossians 3 verse 11. You should have been shouting right now. I thought this was going to be over right here. I even put there maybe end service right there. In my notes, maybe second service will be more spiritual. Look at Colossians 3, verse 11. Watch what it says. It says this, it doesn't matter. Somebody say, it doesn't matter. If you're a Greek or a Jew or if you're a circumcised or not, you may even be a barbarian, which we know some of us were, or a Scythian, and we know especially Australians, they were barbarians, and you may be a slave or a free person, yet Christ is all that what? matters and where does he live he lives in all of us now watch this God loves you and has chosen you as his own special people I mean that is an exclamation point that Paul is putting he says you've got to understand God loves you and he has chosen you as his own special people if you don't understand how valuable you are it literally means you don't understand the love of God and you will never understand your value if you don't understand the love of God I think that, that there's a whole lot of problems in our life why because we don't understand how valuable our lives really are when we do not understand how much we truly are worth to God, uh, uh, there is a, there's a challenge with us all the way through our lives where we devalue ourselves and where we don't live up to what we can and what we could. I don't know if, you, uh, if any of you saw the movie Saving Private Ryan. Anybody saw that? And there's an incredible clip. I'd like to play it real quick. But Tom Hanks uh, plays Captain John Miller that was sent to rescue Private Ryan. The whole premise of the movie is that Private Ryan has lost three other brothers in the war. And the officers didn't want her to lose her only son that she had left, her last son. 
And so they, they got a company together to go out and go get Private Ryan. He was in really in a bad place, in enemy territory. And as they were fighting their way out of enemy territory, all the men that went to rescue Private Ryan, one after the other, they died, basically laying down their life for him. And even uh, towards the end, Captain Miller is, is lying and he's dying. And I want you to listen to the words that he says. And then I want you to listen to uh, the words that Private Ryan wrestles with for his whole life. Let's check out this clip real quick. It is a powerful illustration. If you listen to the words that's been spoken to Private Ryan, when Captain John Miller is dying, he says to him, earn this. He's basically saying to him, You better be worth it. All of these people have laid down their lives. They all died, including me, in order for you to have any kind of life. So whatever life you're going to live, you better earn it. You better make sure that you were worthwhile for us dying for you. And so Private Ryan, throughout his whole life, you hear in the words that he speaks throughout his whole life, he's struggling with that whole thing that to the end where he comes, where he asks his wife, have I lived a good life? Tell me, have I lived a good life? Tell me, am I a good man? And his whole self-worth was tied to what he has done. And I want you to understand something. That is, that is okay for a movie, but it's not okay for your life and mine. Because here's what you need to understand about your value. Your value has got nothing to do what you have done and what you haven't done. Your value has to do with what Jesus did for you. And you don't have to struggle and try to earn it and try to say, I am valuable because what I, what I am doing. No, you are valuable, period. You know this illustration. Does anybody have a $20 bill or, you know, do you have a $20 bill? Anybody quickly. Leave it to Francesco. <laughs> Facile. He's teaching me Italian, so if you don't know what that means, you can look it up. That was, did I say it right? Facile. Okay, I'm holding my hand. I've told you this before. I'm holding my hand a $20 bill. What if I tell you that this $20 bill has been through a whole lot? What if I tell you that this $20 bill went down to, you know, hookah paluka mamas and g- gave this 20 to the hoochie mama that was dancing over there? <laughs> this $20 bill is probably just enough, I don't know, in economy, but maybe just enough to get ahead. Maybe just enough, you know, to, to smoke some, some, some hookah. I don't know, whatever. The, but this, is, this, this $20 bill has been through a whole lot. What if I tell you that this, 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 this $20 bill has experienced nothing but bad It's been used for nothing but bad. Let me ask you a question. Do you still want the $20 bill if I were offering it to you? Why? Because the value of this $20 bill has got nothing to do with what it's been through. The value is when the U.S. Treasury Department put on their $20. So no matter what it goes through, it's still worth $20. Your value and my value, here you go before I keep it. Your value and my value is not determined by what we have been through. It's determined by the fact that we are made in the image and the likeness of our creator. The enemy has poisoned our minds, the minds of humanity with the belief system that there is no God. Why? Because if there is no God, our lives have absolutely no value whatsoever. 
You have to believe that you are a good thing and you have to understand your value. Secondly, if you're going to work through the building, a rebuilding process in your life, the second thing in building perseverance in your heart and mind, you have to tie your self-worth to what Jesus did for you. You must tie your self-worth to what Jesus did for you. Too many of us are focused on what we have done and what we are doing and it causes us to want to give up and quit. None of us could save ourselves in the first place. So the job was too big for us anyway. So we place our confidence in what Jesus did for us. My worth is not determined by what I've done. It is determined by what Jesus did for me. Listen to these verses in Romans 4. I'm reading out of the message paraphrase. It's so powerful. Let's pick it up from verse 4. It says this. If you're a hard worker and you do a good job, you deserve your pay. We don't call your wages a gift. But, somebody say but. Watch this. If you see that the job is too big for you, that it is something only God can do, and you trust Him to do it, you could never do it for yourself, no matter how hard and how long you worked. Well, that trusting Him to do it is what gets you set right with God. By God, it's a sheer gift. By trying to do it on your own, what does it lead to? It leads to frustration. Trying to make changes in your life because you feel guilty or you feel shame, it doesn't help. You have to be fully and passionately persuaded that the God of the universe loves you and He made a way for you to be free through an intimate relationship with His Son, Jesus Christ. And the reason you want to live His way is because you are passionate about Him as He is about you. That's why you want to make changes in your life, not because of guilt, not because of shame, but because you love God and God loves you. Guilt and shame are a prison. Come on, somebody. Guilt and shame are a prison. And some of us, you know, we grew up in homes where we had to earn the love of our parents and where their love was based on on, on what we did and based on conditions. We had to behave a certain way for us to be accepted. And so what we do, we bring that same kind of mentality in our relationship with Jesus and we say that you have to act and behave in a certain way and we tie our self-worth to our behavior. Never tie your self-worth to your behavior. Why? Because it's highly likely that somewhere, somehow, you're going to mess up. Can I get a weak amen for that at least? A high five, 20 bucks or whatever. I mean, throw money. I know you got some to throw. See, what does God wants us to do? He wants us to understand, to untie our self-worth from our behavior and to put it on the one who saved us, the one whose love for us is unlimited. Look at Ephesians 1 verse 3. This is so good. I love this. How blessed is God and what a blessing He is. He is the Father of our Master Jesus Christ and takes us to the high place of blessing in Him. Long before, somebody say long before. Watch this. Long before He laid down earth's foundation, He had us where? In mind. Had settled on us as what? The focus of His love to be made how? Whole and holy by what? By His love. Your fundamental freedom is going to reside in the fact that you understand the love of God. When you truly begin to understand just how much God loves you and the measure of His love and the depth of His love and the width of His love and the height of His love, it will revolutionize the way you live your life, the way you feel about yourself. Every single ounce of your being will be changed when you understand that you are the very focus of the love of God. 
Listen to the rest of the verse. Long, long ago, he decided to adopt us into his family through Jesus Christ. What pleasure he took in planning this. He wanted us to enter into the celebration of his lavish gift giving by the hand of his beloved son. God is saying that even when he planned for you to be with him, even when he planned to adopt you into his family, it gave him joy. It gave him pleasure. Think about this. That when God thinks about you, he's not thinking about all the rubbish. He's not thinking about all the junk. He's not thinking about all the challenges. He's thinking about you with joy. See, some of you are struggling with that. You're struggling with the fact because you feel unworthy. You feel unholy. Hey, I just, let me just give you some good news. We are all unworthy and we are all unholy. You see these nice dressed people that all sit around you, they look all good, they drive nice things, they live in nice houses, they've all been messed up. There's not one person in this room who hadn't had to go through stuff and work through some issues in their lives. We've got to understand it gave him joy. When I'm motivated by God's love and I finally realize that I'm worth something, that I'm not a product of some random universe that came into existence by chance and by accident, a mathematical impossibility, and therefore lived to myself and died to myself, whether I had parents who affirmed me or loved me or didn't love me, I am the focus of God's amazing love and that empowers me to change. It is a gift. It's not something I have to strive for, work for. I simply receive it and I simply embrace it. God's love. You see, when you start living that way, the power of love, when you start understanding what it is, the dysfunctions in your life will literally drop off of you. It will literally start crumbling around you. Why? Because you understand I'm being perfected by the love of God. I don't have to earn this. I don't have to work this to be loved. I don't have to work at this to be accepted. I am accepted. I am loved. I am. God says who I am. That's who determines my value. God has already determined. And because my value is predetermined, I live from that place myself. Self-worth is not tied to my, to my behavior. It's tied to what Jesus did for me. Fred Craddock was a preaching professor in a seminary back east. He died several years ago. And one summer, Dr. Craddock and his wife were vacationing in Gatlinburg, uh, Tennessee. And they walked into a little roadside restaurant. And a man, kind of a really big man, came walking up and, you know, and greeted them and said, how are you guys doing? And, and uh, Craddock said, we're doing fine. He said, are you guys on vacation? They said, yeah, we're we on vacation. And then he says, well, what do you do? He says, well, I'm a homiletics professor, professor of homiletics. He says, oh, you're a preacher. He said, yeah. He says, well, let me tell you a, a preacher's story. He pulls up the chair, and, he, uh, and Dr. Craddock says, oh, okay, great. And he says, I want to tell you something, Dr. Craddock. I was brought up, born an illegitimate child. I went to school, and people laughed at me. I was rejected. I was made fun of. When I walked down the streets in our small town, uh, when I was 15 years of age, people were laughing at me, saying, I wonder whose son that is. I wonder whose boy that is. And then this young preacher came to town, and I'm telling you, he says, I, I've never been, been, been to church in my life before, and I went to hear what he had to say, and, and uh, I listened to his message, and, and he says, I would come late and leave early because I didn't want anybody to notice me. And, and uh, he says, but every time this guy would speak, he, he was literally reading my mail. And uh, he says, the guy was unbelievable. And one Sunday, he said, I got so enthralled uh, with his message that I did not leave early. And uh, he says, I tried to get out uh, uh, without someone noticing me, but he says, the aisles were packed and I couldn't get out. And he says, then I felt a big hand on my shoulder. And he said, I looked up and, and uh, down at me was this tall preacher looking at me. 
And he says, the store preacher looked at me and he asked me this question. He said, boy, whose son are you? He says, and when I heard those words, I began to tremble. And then he said, son, I know who you are. There's an amazing resemblance. You are a child of God. And this man said, when I heard those words, it changed my life. I am a child. I am a son of God. And then he put the chair back and this man walked out. And the waitress scurried over to the table and asked, do you know who that man was? And they said, no. She said, that was Ben Cooper, the two-time governor of the state of Tennessee. I want you to understand that when you start recognizing who you belong to, and when you start putting your self-worth to what Jesus did for you, it will change your life. You are a son. You are a daughter of God. Let me give you one more. Can you handle one more? What do we need to build in our minds in order to have a persevering mindset? Number one, we said what? You must. Thank you. You must understand your value. Number two, you must what? Tie your self-worth to what Jesus did for you. And number three, focus on your progress, not your failure. Focus on your progress, not your failure. If we're going to build a persevering mind, we must learn to focus on the good. Focus on your progress. Focus on, on, on the good steps that you have taken, not on all the times that you have failed. Focus on the goal, not on the distractions. Our focus is to become like Jesus. We heard last week that if we're being changed to be, uh, to be like Him. Now listen very closely. Not everybody is going to applaud you because you decided to make a change. Don't even, don't even vote for that. You're not going to get it. The moment you start focusing on the distractors of life and not on the ultimate goal of where you're going, it saps you of your spiritual energy. If you find yourself in a place where you feel like giving up and you feel like quitting and you, you, you gotta, you gotta check what you're focusing on. Why? Because you gotta focus on the good, not the bad. You gotta focus on the fact that you are making, you are making changes. It might, you might not be perfect yet or you might not be at the end of it yet, but you are working towards. Somebody say working towards. And how do you work towards? You make sure that your mind is focused on the good. Look at this in Philippians 4, 8 out of the Amplified Bible. Finally, believers, whatever is true, somebody say true. Whatever is honorable. Somebody say honorable. Whatever is worthy of respect, say worthy of respect. Whatever is right, say right. Watch this. And confirmed by God's word, say God's word. Whatever is pure, say pure. Say wholesome. Whatever is lovely, say lovely. Watch this. Brings peace, say peace. Whatever is what, say admirable. Say good repute. If there is any excellence, say excellence. If there's anything worthy of praise, say worthy of praise. Think continually on these things. Now watch, I love how the Amplified Bible puts it. Center your mind on them and implant them in your heart. He's saying that if you're gonna, if, you, if you're gonna move forward, if you're gonna understand that you're focusing on your progress, not your failure, you're gonna make sure that your mind is on the good, not the bad. You gotta make sure your mind is on that which is healthy. Healthy thinking means that we have a persevering mindset, which means the thought of quitting is not a constant companion. Now we might, uh, in a moment of vulnerability, have a fleeting thought of giving up. Has, has anybody ever had a fleeting thought of giving up? Okay, I've got three honest people. One, two, three. And the rest of you all liars, because you know. I mean, I've been there. I've been there where like, uh, you know, enough of this. I've had enough. You know, especially after first service. And, uh, you know, want to quit. 
I'm just teasing you. Maybe I'm not. I don't know. But in a moment of vulnerability, we might feeling like, you know, have a thought of giving up. But we've got to expel that pattern of thinking that says quitting is not an option. Why? We are tempted to quit when we allow the wrong things to hold our attention. When we daydream of how things could be better if we just quit. I want you to know, you daydream about, well, if I just, you know, if I just don't do this, if I just don't do this, if I just don't do this, and I go do something else, you know, then, I mean, that's, you know, if I'm in another place, then I'm going to be happy. The problem with being in another place is you go with you. Now, if there was an ability to leave your old self behind, you might be in a better place. But if you're taking yourself with you wherever you go, here's a revelation, there you are. And if you're going to go until you change the way you think, it doesn't matter where you are. It doesn't matter who you're with. Until you change the way you think, you will never be in a better place. If you cannot have the joy of working through a difficult situation now, you will not find ultimate joy. And quitting is, a, is an act. It's a, it's a temporary act for a temporary fix of something that is deeper wrong on the inside of us. We have got to understand if we're going to persevere, if we're going to get to the other side of what we're working through, as we are digging this stuff out of our lives, as we are working through this dysfunction in our lives, we've got to recognize that that I'm not supposed to give up. I have a persevering mind. Why? Because I allow the good. I allow what I'm going to be hold my attention, not what I'm always doing. That was so good. Man, good job, Pastor. I really appreciate that. That's a good word. Quitting is a temporary solution to a deeper problem. Listen to me now. That will eventually come up again. God's word helps us to build the persevering thoughts in our minds. Now, Peter encouraged us to keep in the forefront of our minds these things that were predicted by the prophets and proclaimed by Jesus. Listen to what he says in 2 Peter 3 verse 1. My dear friends, this is now the second time I've written to you. Both letters remind us. Somebody say remind us. So he's reminding them. So when you remind somebody, that means you've told them that before, right? So he says, now this stuff you've heard already, now I'm writing two letters to you to remind you. Remind you of what? To hold your what? Minds in a state of, work with me in a state of what? Undistracted attention. Keep in mind. So I've got to hold my mind. I've got to keep my mind in this, in this, in this state of undistracted attention. Watch this. What do we have to keep in mind? What the Holy Prophet said and the command of our Master and Savior that was passed on to you by your apostles. First off, you need to know that in the last days, mockers are going to have a heyday. Reducing everything to the level of their puny feelings, they will mock. So what's happened to the promise of His coming? Our ancestors are dead and buried and everything's going just as it has from the day of creation. Nothing's changed. Peter is saying, if you're going to have a persevering mindset, you need to understand that people are going to mock your beliefs and your values. But that's not a reason to quit. He's basically saying you have a choice. You can believe what God said through the prophets and what they prophesied and what Jesus preached of what will happen. Or you can believe those who have their minds polluted and said that nothing has changed. To live only by what they feel, only by what they experience, and they mock what you believe. You see, you are going to have some mockers in your life. You are going to have some people who do not believe that you can actually make a change, who do not believe that you can actually do better. And what you have to do is you got to focus on what God said to you, not on what they say. Why? Because when you focus on the negative, it erodes your perseverance. 
Listen to these verses, and, and I'm coming to a close. Look at Hebrews 12, verse 3. Notice what it says. So keep your mind on who? Jesus, who put up with many insults from sinners. Then you won't get what? Scourged and... Is that simple to understand? Come on, can, can we all understand that? So let's put this, this verse in reverse. Let's read it from backwards. So if I don't want to give up and I don't want to get discouraged, what do I have to do? So that means if I'm discouraged and I want to give up, my mind is not on. Turn to your neighbor and say, that was worth coming to church for. It's so simple, folks. The reason we feel like quitting and giving up is because we allow everything else to hold our attention and we don't allow Jesus to hold our attention. Now, what about Jesus must we keep in mind? He's going to tell us. Watch this. In the, in the, very, the very next few verses, it's so great. I'm going to read it out of the message. And listen to this. When you find yourself flagging in your faith, go over that story again. Watch this. Item by item. That long litany of hostility he plowed through, that will shoot adrenaline into your souls. In this all-out match against sin, others have suffered far worse than you to say nothing of what Jesus went through. All that bloodshed. So don't feel sorry for yourselves. He's saying if you want, if you want, to, if you want some life, if you, if you want to finish this, if you want to work through the progression of this, he says, here's what you got to understand. You look at what Jesus did for you and you go through item by item. You look at the betrayal. You look at how he served right before he was crucified. You look at his arrest. You look at working through the process. You look at how what Judas did. You look at what Peter did. You look at how he's being betrayed, how he's being put on the block. You look at how he went before Pontius Pilate. You look at this whole progression. You look at how he suffered on the cross. You look at the thorns that is on his head. You look at how his, his back looked like a plowed field. That literally you could see his lungs from the back. That it looked like somebody plowed his field. That blood was pouring. Isaiah said he had no form that we could even recognize him. He was so beaten that his head was swollen to two and a half times its size. And he was pierced. He, was, he had a broken body. That, and he says when you realize what Jesus did for you. All to show you how much you are loved and how much you are valued. He says, and you go through that item by item, he says what it does for you, it makes you recognize that I'm loved, that I'm worth something, that I've got value in my life, that I don't have to give up, that I don't have to quit, that I don't have to listen to the naysayers. I can listen to what God has done for me. It shoots adrenaline into your souls. Say, I don't have to quit. I don't have to give up. And I don't have to have myself tied to where I failed and haven't failed because Jesus took my failure on the cross. And he says, it is finished. See, the difference between Christianity and every other religion, every other religion says you got to do. Jesus says, it is done. You can live in the power of attempting to please God. Or you can live in the power of Jesus who did please God. See, my life of faith 
It's not lived out because I do good or I don't do good. It's lived out because of what Jesus did for me. It's by the grace of God. And when I understand that grace, you say, Any, are you saying we can do whatever we want? No, because here's the thing. When you truly love someone and you stand, you don't want to do anything that hurts them. You just, you just want to honor them. You just want to, because it's love. And you look at that pure love. That love motivates me to act right, think right, do right, be right. Because I'm motivated not by guilt. I'm motivated not by shame. I'm not motivated by fear because perfect love casts out all fear. And I can come before God holy and pure and blameless. You know why? Because I'm standing. I'm standing washed in the blood of Jesus. That is the power of a life lived with a mindset that's focused on him. That's how you persevere. That's how you finish. And you finish well. We're going to go to the Lord's table right now.